Episode 3348 of the Survival Podcast. It's episode 44 of Bitcoin Breakout. And I'm just going to do just basically a buttload of questions about Bitcoin today. Um, I have folders for all types of things that come in and mail. And I kind of wanted to do this, but I just let them accumulate over a few weeks. And uh, today we're going to answer was one, two, three, four, five, uh, about 12 questions on Bitcoin. and I'm going to do my best to answer them. One of the things I said in the show notes, though, is the thing that you learn about Bitcoin is the more you learn about Bitcoin, the more you know you don't know about Bitcoin. It's really a journey of discovery. But these are some pretty simple questions. I think the answers you get from me will be right. I don't claim to be a Bitcoin expert or anything like that. I just claim to be a Bitcoin enthusiast. Uh, straight out of the gate, though. Uh, I'm all about taking more questions today. Uh, put the word question at the beginning of your question. Do that in all caps as best to do, but I got yours there, Joe, in the live stream. Um, but if your question is, what do you think about insert shitcoin name here? I'm not even going to bother. Uh, unless there's some reason like how it ties in on a Bitcoin angle or something like that. Um, I really don't bother with anything but Bitcoin at this point. Uh, I don't have a hatred of shitcoins. I just don't see the point in most of them anymore. Uh, you can make a, a, a minor case, I guess, for things like Monero for some private transactions, but um, just about everything that's ever been an altcoin uh, use case is being destroyed as more and more tech is built for and on Bitcoin. So anyway, I'm just not here to talk to you about your personal pet shitcoin. So instead of even mentioning it, uh, again, I'm just going to say if that's in the question, I'll ignore it. Before we get into this, though, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors of the day. Uh, sponsor day number one is a brand new sponsor. It's not something that happens very often. Above Phone. Uh, I just had the uh, the founder of Above Phone on the show last week. We really hit it off with each other. I'd met him a couple times in private before. But your phone spies on you. Your phone spies on you, and it rats you out to corporations. It rats you out to the corporation you have your phone with, like AT&T as far as the carrier, Apple if you're on an iPhone, and all of those app manufacturers, plus the government. And it's it's just gotten to be ridiculous. There's also massive amounts of censorship uh, being conducted by big tech. So there is a way out, and one of those ways out is with the above phone, and they make it so easy. Uh, you get a free hour of consultation when you buy an above phone. And you can, for a small fee, you can extend that to two hours and they will completely hand, handhold and walk you through the migration process off of your old phone onto your new phone. I actually have one of these on my way, uh, on the way to me. I got the best one that they have. I'm really excited about it. I'm going to take my time in my migration and that's another option, uh, that you can do. I've been using an iPhone myself now for 15-ish years. Right, it's more than that because I had an iPhone before I started this podcast 15 years ago, so that's a long time to be on, on a specific tech platform. But I'm really excited about this. They have their own private app store, and it's just a better way to do things. So check them out. Next up today is Start Nine Sovereign Computing. 
I thought I think this is a great pair up that we now have as these two sponsors uh, that respect your privacy and your sovereignty. And Start Nine, I've been working with them for a couple of years now. They're amazing. If you can install apps on a phone, you can run a Start Nine Embassy server. You can have end to end encrypted chat. You can run your own Bitcoin node. You can have storage of all your passwords, photos, etc., accessible from anywhere in the world, encrypted over Tor, and no one can see it unless you let them see it. It's not just that it's encrypted. It's you'd have to find the gone thing first. Of course, that'll be easy for you because it's yours and you know where it is. But it is just amazing. And if you want to build your own stuff, Start9 is not like one of these companies that tries to hold everything hostage. It's all open source. They even give you instructions to build your own embassy if you want to take that route. Personally, to me, I think it's better to get one. Uh, by the way, Start9 and... Um, Above phone, both do significant discounts for MSB members. Uh, so if you've never considered becoming an MSB member, the uh, discount on an above phone is 75 bucks. Uh, MSB membership's 50. Right out of the gate, you're profitable. It's 9% off on Start9 uh, equipment, and that is a significant discount because it's not stuff that's you know generally considered super cheap. It's expensive technology, so the discounts really add up. And I'm pretty excited to uh, to now have Above Phone and Start9, both as sponsors of the show. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get on to this. Again, these are just questions that have come into me in various ways. Some of them have been comments on social media. Some of them are less questions and more objections. Some are straight-up questions. Some are by email, et cetera. And, again, if you have, if you have any questions for me on this, please put the word question in your, your live stream comment in all caps. And uh, I will let you know this. I will see your questions if you are on YouTube uh, or Twitch. Those are the ones that I'll see. So if you're on one of the other uh, platforms, it doesn't matter if you're on YouTube, the Bitcoin Breakout Channel, or TSP. I'll see them both. I will be answering anything in text, though, uh, to one location so that it's not broadcasting everywhere. All right, so let's start out with a question. I got a bunch over the last couple of months of people asking me this. Why did I stop recommending Ledger is a hardware wallet for your Bitcoin when I you know, recommended them for so long? So let, And I've got a link in the, the audio notes for you guys, which will go up right after the live stream ends. Um, I, I never had a problem with Ledger until like a whole bunch of stuff came out all at once. So what they did is they decided to offer a seed phrase uh, backup cloud-based service where you could have your seed phrase stored in a database of accessible on the cloud. So if you lost your seed phrase, you could recover it, which on the surface doesn't sound so bad, except that's stupid. That's taking all of the people that would use it and, and centralizing the information because you know nobody ever hacks into like centralized databases or anything. And so they did that. Then they... It was worse, though. It wasn't just that. They also required KYC in order to use the service. So you had to provide them government issue ID and stuff like that. And that just flies in the face of everything that Bitcoin's about. You know, that's not what I'm looking for in a hardware manufacturer. And then they sort of tacitly admitted that they could probably tell you the seed phrase for a device. Okay, I'm out. I'm out. So if you, if you go to the BitcoinBreakout.com and click on tools, you'll see everything I recommend there for wallets, exchanges, etc., including things that say, like, maybe this exchange isn't the greatest, but it's really easy. 
and it's a good on-ramp off-ramp for fiat. That would be Coinbase, for instance. We'll talk more about them uh, some today, too. But they're not perfect, and I don't like them. And no, I don't trust them. I basically don't trust any exchange, which is why I'm so big on self-custody. Even the exchanges that I love. There was some talk here about Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is probably the best Bitcoin-only exchange in the country from a standpoint of business practices. I still don't trust them. I don't not trust them. I just don't trust them. And what I mean by that is I buy Bitcoin from Swan and I, I, I withdraw it to my hardware wallet and I don't leave it there. And I, I take that stance with everybody. And most of the exchanges, I certainly trust them long enough to buy Bitcoin and withdraw it. And that, that's all I'm looking for in an exchange. But yeah, Ledger did this stuff and it basically shows bad, bad policy from a security standpoint, in my opinion, anyway, it also shows like really a bad cultural thing. Like when you have a hardware wallet company that it, that, that basically has access to their devices, seed phrases, that's, that's information they should never have, that they should never have. So um, I would, I would get the hell away from ledger if you have one. And I would, I don't honestly, this is not that big. There's people that have very specific preferences on hardware wallets. I use Trezor model T's. I said T's as in I have more than one. That's what I use. I love the way that it works. I love the security that it provides. It's what I use. And that's, so that would be the number one thing I would recommend. If you want to use a cold card, use a cold card. You know, if you, I, I don't, and I have several other hardware wallets that I know I'm comfortable with on my tools page. You can use any of them you want to. So now that was another question. I, this was an interesting question for me, the way it was phrased. And I'm not picking on anybody when I, when I explain stuff this way. I'm just kind of explaining like the, the person asking the question didn't even understand what a hardware wallet was. He said, isn't it just another computer, right? And another risk in something, somebody hacking your your Bitcoin. And it, it's actually the complete opposite of another risk. It's another layer of defense. So what does this do for me? What does this do for me? What this does is when I hook this up to a computer and I enter a PIN code, I can now move Bitcoin or other crypto in a multi-currency situation off of my wallet to another wallet. It allows me to send by plugging it in and having a passcode for it, okay? Which means if it's not plugged in and unlocked, then the money that's on the wallet can't move. I, again, unless somebody, if somebody gets your seed phrase, you have a problem no matter what you're doing, okay? But it, 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 what it does is it prevents sending. It doesn't pre prevent receiving or even the generation of addresses. So... I very seldom plug that device in because I very seldom am putting money off the wallet. I plug it in about once a month to make sure the software firmware is up to date and everything's good to go. And that's about it. About the only time I get it out is when I'm going to do a show and I know I'm going to talk about it. And I want you guys to see it. It lives in a box, a fire rated box that's hidden and, 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 and tucked away and locked up with its friends. Right. That, that's, that's how that gets used. And so what that means is, if you had somebody exploit vulnerabilities on your computer or your phone, the only time that anything becomes vulnerable is while it's connected. While it's connected. Now, I've had people ask me, well, 
if I have an air-gapped computer, isn't that the same thing? I guess. I mean, a hardware wallet is a lot more reliable long-term because it doesn't have a disk sitting there spinning or anything. Computers die. Uh, but, yeah, it's pretty secure. If you had, let's say, an old, older laptop, you're running a software wallet on it, and it has an on-off button for Wi-Fi. It, it better if it had a switch, so it's only on when you switch it on. And basically, you just left it there off, and you never turn the Wi-Fi on except to do transactions. Uh, but you would have to see the thing is then you would have to turn it on to verify you've received. Where I can just take one of my one of my computers that's that's paired with that hardware wallet, and I can see all receipts. So when somebody buys something like MSB membership for Bitcoin from me. I don't need the wallet to see that it's received. It's just a much more secure way uh, to do things. It, it's the most secure thing you can do with your Bitcoin is to have a hardware wallet and then protect it. All right. And I, I always have to reiterate this. No matter how secure anything is, if someone has your seed phrase, they can steal your Bitcoin. So understand you are the weakest link in the security of Bitcoin. Um I've got a lot of questions recently about BlackRock's ETF filing. And I want I want to make sure that I'm clear on this because I'm getting a lot of different questions that indicate that I, I thought I was clear on this. That I think a lot of people don't really understand my position on the ETF as a whole. I firmly believe that a Bitcoin ETF is going to be approved, and I think that it should. And I think the fact that BlackRock's doing it makes it more likely. Generally, when BlackRock asks for something from the SEC, BlackRock gets it. Okay? So I think it's going to go through. But why I feel that it should be approved is an ethics issue. It's not a Bitcoin maximalist issue. It's not a crypto issue. It's not government pro or anti. It's, it's none of that shit. It's that if we can have an ETF for gold, we should be able to have an ETF for Bitcoin. Unlike gold, we can audit the entire supply of Bitcoin and its issuance at any time. It is the most specifically known thing on the planet. Exactly how many Bitcoin there are, how many there are new ones every day, etc. There is no ethical reason to have ETFs that allow you to invest, let's say, in rare earth minerals, or there's literally ETFs where you can invest in things like dialysis technology companies, etc. Like all of these things are so nebulous. And even the commodity ones, like investing in timber. Well, how many exactly how much timber is there in the world right now that's harvestable? And how much will there be in 10 years? Nobody knows. So just from a pure, like if we're going to do things a certain way, even if I don't agree with it, but if we're going to say these are the rules, then there is no legitimate reason to not allow ETFs to exist for Bitcoin. None. Other cryptos, I think you'd have to go case by case. But Bitcoin, there is no case to be made for this. It's also the case that once you have an ETF, there's a ton of institutional money that opens up. That's good for price action, but that's not the only part of it. Once you do this, you get pension fund managers able to do this, and you end up with Bitcoin being part of of the pension funds of people like school teachers, cops, uh, you know, uh, other city, county, government employees. And the idea then of ever banning Bitcoin becomes untenable. So I think it also puts a protective shield 
around Bitcoin as an asset from government intervention to at least some level. Like you can't do anything that's really bad for this because now there's teachers who are going to have their pensions affected by it. Like the only thing that a politician wants to touch less than it's to negatively impact a teacher's pension or a firefighter's pension is like an Indian reservation. That's like the, that's the next level down the hole of the third rail you don't touch. So I think it would be good for Bitcoin from a standpoint of security and money. And I think ethically there is no ground to stand on for the SEC to say, well, yeah, we can have a, we can have an ETF for anything under the sun, but not Bitcoin. Now, but the other side of that is, so are you advocating that when it comes to put your money into it? No, but maybe. So let's start off with the no. There is no way that I would willingly invest any money that wasn't already sequestered into a tax-deferred vehicle like a Roth IRA into Bitcoin. None. And... I know some of you guys have like IRAs and and what have you that have Bitcoin. And if you want to do that, that's fine. I'm not shitting on it, but I'm not a trader. And when I say trader, I mean a stock trader, like high frequency type thing. In my opinion, there's not much advantage to an IRA, 401k, et cetera, with Bitcoin in it. Other for, for the individual investor, other than they have money that's already stuck. So you have, like, I want to put $100,000 into Bitcoin, and I have way more than that in my IRA from when I rolled my 401k into when I left my job. And it's going to hurt financially really bad to pull that money out and buy it. We'll come back to that in a minute. However, the other advantage of an IRA, as many of you know, is one form or another of tax deferment. Either you pay the tax up front with a Roth and never pay tax on the gains, or you... Don't pay the tax now, and you only pay it upon withdrawal with a conventional. Since I don't ever plan to sell my Bitcoin, ever, never, ever, never, then that doesn't really help me because I don't pay taxes on the gains on Bitcoin the way I would with dividends on a stock. So there's two ways that you make money with stocks, assuming they're dividend-producing stocks. So let's say you're holding stock in a dividend-paying company like Exxon. And let's say you bought Exxon when it was 50 bucks and now it's 400. I don't know what it is. None of that gain gets locked in and taxed until you divest yourself of the stock. When you sell the stock, you pay tax on it. And only when you sell the stock. When you get a dividend, let's say that you have a significant holding and you get a $5,000 dividend across a year from Exxon Holdings. That would be quite a bit of holdings. You pay tax on that dividend. Even if, it's re, if, it, if you have a reinvestment program where the dividend just buys you more stock, you still have a gain that was realized. It was paid out to you as, a, as an owner in the company Exxon. Bitcoin doesn't have a dividend. There's nothing for me to shelter as far as income. The only time that that would apply is if I plan when I get old and I do retire, I'm going to start selling Bitcoin, and then I'm going to live off my Bitcoin across time. I don't plan to do that. I think with the amount of Bitcoin I have and where Bitcoin will be in, you know, it's probably 20 years before I'm even really thinking about this hard, maybe 15, I guess. That'll put me at 65. Um, that I will never actually sell it. I will, I will, I will open a line of credit against it the same way you do with real estate and very small percentages of the whole, and I will borrow against it and never pay tax on it. 
So since that's my plan, I don't really get a lot out of putting it in. So me, no, I'm not going to buy an ETF. However, I do have some money sitting in some IRAs. And if I want to move that money into Bitcoin, I might do it there. And so I see this primarily as for people with stranded capital in these tax-deferred vehicles as a way to do that. I also think it will open up Bitcoin to a lot more people because once this happens, if BlackRock has an ETF for Bitcoin, okay, I actually have that question. Love to sing. I've got that question, so I'm not going to start yours. We'll get to that one. It's all it's on the list. Um, but once BlackRock is one of the most influential investment companies out there. You don't think they're going to lean, lean on people like Edward Jones and shit and go, you know, this really needs to be in your 401k offerings. So I think it'll open up that automatic investing to a lot of people who wouldn't do it otherwise. Is it the way they should do it? Probably not. But at least they will. And so I hope that makes sense. So I'm not like, hey, when the ETF comes out, it's so great, you should buy it. No, I'm like, we should have an ability to make an ETF out of something as auditable as Bitcoin. If we can have an, an ETF based on dialysis. Seriously. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to phrase it. And there is a lot of stranded capital that could then gain access to investment without penalty. Yeah. Um, I also do feel a little bit about putting Bitcoin in IRA like I do about physical silver. No, don't do that. Why would you do that? If I have if I have physical silver, I don't need I don't need the government's help. I don't need to disclose anonymous wealth to the government. I prefer not to. But if I wanted to buy silver or gold, then maybe I would use an IRA again if I had the capital stranded. Except with silver and gold, I would never do a physical metal IRA. There's no point to it. It's the dumbest thing ever. I'm sorry, Infinity. That's what silver and gold ETFs would be beneficial for because they're liquid and they're, they can be dis, dissolved into cash or other forms of security any day that trading is open. All right. So now that would that's an interesting thing, though. This is the interesting thing about a Bitcoin ETF. If it's an ETF, it will be traded on the market. So they're open business hours Monday to Friday where the commodity itself trades 24-7, 365. That's, that's an interesting thing to think about. Moving on, though. Um, I also have been getting a lot of questions lately. How do I convert, insert shitcoin here, to Bitcoin? And should I wait for the shitcoin to go back up before I do it? We'll start with the first one. There's one way to do this. You need an account with an exchange so that you can exchange one cryptocurrency into, in this case, Bitcoin. There's no other way to do this. Now, if you want to try to sell it to somebody you meet online or something, you go to FBI, feds, and blah, blah, blah. Woo, woo, woo. There are quite a few no KYC exchanges, assuming you're not trying to buy for fiat. You're actually trying to take something like Ethereum and turn it into Bitcoin. There may be a certain number. You might have to make a few trades to have the ability to withdraw without KYC or whatever. But there's ways to do it with no KYC. If you bought shitcoin A on an exchange with reporting, though, it is possible, maybe not so probable as people think, but it's possible that, you know, you could end up with some IRS questions about what about all this Ethereum that you sold, Mr. Smith? So I would just accept the fact that if you have a gain 
on a shit coin, I'm just going to pay the tax on it. I'm going to report the trade. I'm going to pay the tax on it. I have too much to lose. Um, I prefer to work the tax system by using the tax code appropriately with a good CPA. I am not into putting my entire life and wealth at risk, right, because I'm going to try to save myself from paying an extra 1000 bucks in taxes this year. There's a hell of a lot of ways I can reduce my taxes by more than a 1000 bucks completely legally and legitimately. So I would just plan on the fact you're going to make a gain, you're going to pay the tax, you're going to take a loss, and you're, you're going to take the loss, right? You can do it either way. In some ways, it might be really advantageous right now. We're talking about capital loss harvesting in a minute, okay? That's another question. But if I'm holding shitcoin XYZ, and I can lose five grand on paper by trading it to Bitcoin now, while Bitcoin is also down, and what I really want is a position in Bitcoin, then make the trade is, I mean, record it on a screen in case they say, did you really do this? You have a video of you making the trade. And say, yes, I lost $5,000, and that comes off of your income for that tax year. So it may actually be advantageous if you have a shitcoin at a loss right now and you want to change your position to go ahead and take the loss. That's just a, a tax strategy because that, that's assuming that's the position you actually want. Okay? Um, and people will say, well, then, you know, I, one day I'm going to log in and that shitcoin went up, like went to the moon or something. It's always possible. Of course, it's probably not going to happen either. Um, I do believe we have one more altcoin season. I do have a fairly significant position in Ethereum myself. Um, I know that makes me a bad maxi or whatever, but, uh, you know, I bought it a very long time ago. I am going to pay a very big tax hit on it, and I think there is a a, a better, more strategic time for me to dump that. But if you told me you were in my position and you said, well, I'm just going to do this right now, Jack, I'd say go forth and God bless you. I wouldn't fault you for it. It's, you know, it's, it's up to every individual. I don't give advice that's in buy this and sell that. I don't do that. I'll tell you about things. I'll tell you what I think, but you have to make your own decisions. Moving on. Um, let's talk about the capital loss. So um, I've also gotten the question, uh, I have Bitcoin for this person that sent the, the question that I used to generate this morning. He said he bought Bitcoin at about $40,000. Right now it's about $30,000. It sounds like he has a significant amount. Maybe let's say half of Bitcoin. That's $5,000 capital loss. That's significant. And he wants to know, well, what do I do? And all you do, literally all you do is put your Bitcoin on an exchange, sell it, wait, wait for the transaction to clear, and immediately buy it back. And then you report sold Bitcoin for $30,133. Purchased Bitcoin for $41,203. Capital loss equals. That just goes on your tax form. It goes on your 1040. And you're done. And you take the loss. And that's it. And you'll lose a little bit of actual Bitcoin in the transaction fees. But not enough. To, you know, you want to make sure that you have enough to make it worth doing this. If you have like... $500 in Bitcoin, it's, this is not worth doing. But if you have a Bitcoin or two or three, I mean, you're talking, you know, if it's three Bitcoin, it's $30,000 in capital losses that you can harvest. So the other question has been, is there any reason I shouldn't do this? The answer is no. The answer is no. Unless you have a whole bunch of no KYC, dark Bitcoin that no one knows you have, that would put you on the radar and 
you know, then you also have to prove what your cost basis is. Right. So that would be about the only way. But if you have, you know, on the board Bitcoin and you can harvest the capital loss, there's really no reason not to do it. There is. And, and someone I'm not sure if that's a question or a statement, but there is no wash rule on Bitcoin. So the wash rule says this. Let's say that I had Exxon stock and we're getting near the end of the year. And my broker calls me up and says, Jack, hey, man, we're like fifty thousand dollars in the hole on Exxon. And I'm like, dude, are you saying we should get out of our position in Exxon? He's like, no, 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 no. Exxon's good long term, but let's sell it for the capital loss. I believe it's 60 days that I'll have to wait. So let's say this was December 1st. I'm going to have to wait till about the end of January to reestablish my position in Exxon. Well, see, this is a problem now, isn't it? Because I don't know what's going to happen to Exxon in that 60-day period. It could go further down and lower my basis on entry when I reposition, or it could rebound all the way back up, and I've lost money for real now. So... Tech, usually with stocks, et cetera, the only way people do a capital uh, loss harvest is they know another security that's going to perform very, very close to the one they have, or they don't want the position anymore and they want to reposition the capital. But you can't just go in and out. But crypto as a whole, not just Bitcoin, has no wash rule, no wash rule. For now, I believe that the legislation uh, – proposed by Cynthia Loomis, and I can't remember who the other person is who got their name on that bill, uh, would do some things that are great for Bitcoin and crypto and some that aren't as good. One would be a de minimis purchases, meaning if you spent Bitcoin in any individual transaction under $600, there would be no tax implications, which would be good if you had a gain and bad if you had a loss. Um, but you could still sell it because that would only be spending it that would, that would, that would trigger that de minimis thing. But uh, one of the things it would do is potentially remove the wash rule. So the wash rule is just something I'm married to. Like the world's over if they take away the wash rule. But as long as it exists, if I have the ability to create an artificial loss and just regain my position that I already had for a little bit of dust, dust of Satoshi's, I'm going to do it. So I, I don't think there is a good reason not to do it. The only good reason not to do it is you don't believe that Bitcoin's gone as down as uh, as it would take. Um, you know, if, if it hasn't, if you like, it's set twenty and you think it's going to fifteen, you might want to wait to harvest the loss. But as you, if you're in a, you know, toward the end of a tax year and you can take a loss, you take a freaking loss. Just realize you've reset your basis at that point, and so that will that will create a larger gain if you sell in the future on, on a gain. Just understand that. Uh, next, what does running a note actually do for you, and is it worth doing? That's a big ass it depends as far as is it worth doing. Is it worth it to you? You have to decide that. I think part of it is, is you're just kind of in a club. You're a node runner. You're one of the more, you know, one of the, the truly dedicated to Bitcoin people. Uh, it's not that hard to do. They are off the shelf nodes. Um, what a node does is verify the network, right? So miners secure the network, nodes verify the network. So we have a saying in Bitcoin, don't trust verify. It's kind of a riff on the Russian proverb that Ronald Reagan uh, very famously quipped one time, right? Trust but verify. 
No, Bitcoin, don't trust, verify. That little computer basically has the whole blockchain on it, unless it's called a pruned node. Now, some people run pruned nodes, which means it's, let's say, the top of the blockchain, last X number of transactions. But most of them, you go all the way back to the entire blockchain, back to the Genesis block, the very first Bitcoin block. That's where the miners verify and generate new Bitcoin. So it allows you to have a true window into the, the state of the Bitcoin network, TikTok next block every 10 minutes. Also, if you then pair your wallets with it, it does some things for you to allow you to do some things that are more sophisticated than a lot of the off-the-shelf software wallets like to manage Bitcoin by individual UTXO or address. Now, this could be a tax issue, for instance, in that if I want to sell Bitcoin for a capital loss, the IRS says there's two ways that I can do it, but I have to be consistent for the entire year. It's method A or method B. Method A is first in, first out. That means the Bitcoin I bought the longest to go when I sell, I have to report what I paid for it or what I earned it at at that time. So if it's 2013, that could be a really big game. But I also can manage by UTXO. So I can say, no, I'm selling because we can verify down to the individual Satoshi, right? So I can take and find the UTXOs with the, the Bitcoin that I spent the most money on, and I can exchange only those completely. Again, this is not a gimmick. This is, this is the following the rules to the letter. This is the IRS has said. And I could say, like, maybe I bought $20,000 worth of Bitcoin when it was sixty grand. And now I can sell just that section, just those Satoshis, and it won't be impacted. And that's something I don't know of any wallet that you can run without running your own node that does that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying I don't know of it. That's another thing uh, that it, it can do for you. It can be kind of an added level of security because now you're running a wallet on your own node, right? Instead of relying on, let's say, if you're using a Trezor Model T and you're using it paired with something like Exodus and 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 the and, and uh, the Trezor, you're you're using their node, right? So, are you comfortable with that? There's really not a big reason not to be, but you know you're you can run your transactions through your node if you decide to do that. You can also run a node and not do it. I mean, you can just have a node that sits there and just does its thing. Take talk next block. Um, so. CDB says Sparrow Wallet will do that. And I'm guessing Sparrow Wallet is a software wallet. I don't know whether or not it pairs with hardware wallets. You can tell me if that's true. Uh, but it will allow me to manage by UTXO to say specifically, I want to send Bitcoin from these addresses and I compare it with Electium. Okay, that sounds good. I'll have to look into that. Thank you for letting me know about that one. That's that's one I didn't know about. That's cool. That's cool. But you know, in the early days, the more nodes we could get on the network, the more secure the network is to verification and to, you know, it's the nodes that decide when somebody implements like a, a, a BIP, a Bitcoin improvement protocol, like does it actually get picked up and run? Do more than 51% of the nodes take it on when there's splits and things like that? People think that the miners control that. It's the nodes that control that. What the miners do is provide security. So when you talk about 51% with mining, you're talking about the ability to alter the transactions or to change things 
from a transactional standpoint. Nodes stabilize the network as far as what happens with a fork, for instance. Um, and that's that. So it's up to you. I don't think it's something everybody needs to do. Now, there's Bitcoiners that think you're not a real Bitcoiner until you have a node, a start nine or an umbral or build your own from a Raspberry or whatever. Hey, you know, there's people that take things too far. There just are people that are, are uh, absolutists or purists. And uh, and I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. I think it's a good thing to do. I run a node. You, you can, too, if you want to. Um, next one was, how do I ensure, and somebody was asking this in a live chat, so I didn't start that one. How do I ensure heirs can get my Bitcoin when I die without granting access while I'm alive? Basically, I don't want to give away the keys to the castle until I'm dead. There are some ways to do this. One would be through uh, a company that would provide something called multi-sig. And multi-sig is like two out of three. You need two out of three keys to actually unlock the Bitcoin. And so you can have a multi-sig where you have two keys and the other party has one key. And so you can do it without them or with them. And then you store those keys separately. You could provide to your heirs one half of the equation. The company won't give them the other key. And you could write into your will that is to be released to them. If you had more heirs, you could break it up into more pairs of keys. And you could do it that way. Um, you could simply secure all the relevant information in a way that it can't be accessed and leaving your will or anything else that you would leave behind for your heirs instructions on how to go get it. Uh, and then that would be delivered to them at the time of your death. You could put it in your will, which is probably smart. Um, but I don't think you need to put in your will that it's Bitcoin or how much generally speaking assets are divided up in a will based on percentage. Cause between the time you, uh, execute or I'm not execute a will draft a will and die shit changes and we don't we don't tend to update our our wills weekly so we can make a specified amount let's say I'm worth 50 million dollars and I'm like I got this family member who I don't really want to make part of the main distribution I want them to have 10,000 bucks like I say give this person 10,000 bucks but the rest of my estate is divided in percentages and class of assets so that might just be a way to keep people from fighting but I would simply make sure that there is a way for whoever you want to get whatever you want when you die. And didn't, they can't really do it. And, and you can figure out a lot of different ways to do that. It's, it, it's really up to you. Um, if you are into a point, though, where you're doing what my uh, plan is, my plan is, which is, you're leveraging your holding in the form of debt so that you never pay taxes in your retirement, that you'd probably want to take a more conventional-willed approach to because at that point when you die, your heirs are going to have to decide, do they want to just take enough of the Bitcoin, pay off the, the outstanding debt, or do they want to continue to do what you're doing? Yeah? So you that's something that's something to have a conversation with someone who drafts wills and handles estate planning with the exact mechanism. But it can be as simple as when I die, go to the strong box, open it up and you can have it. Right. 
I guess there's always the chance that your heir could break into your house and take your shit. So you, you're the one that decides how much you trust your son or your daughter or whatever. Um, and again, there is some level of trust that we have to extend to certain people in certain situations. Moving on. Um, how is holding Bitcoin different from holding stocks or ETFs beyond just having higher returns? So I've had this is something people are like, OK, you guys talk about you know Bitcoin and its value and everything. But like, you know, beating inflation or whatever. But if I buy the top 10 companies in the S&P 500, maybe Bitcoin outperforms it. Maybe it doesn't. But am I not? doing the same thing in that the returns historically will beat inflation. Well, that's debatable. Depends on whose inflation number you're using. But the big difference is I don't need anybody else involved in the transaction for that. And what I mean is let's say that um, Crafty Master here has a question, and we'll be, we'll be uh, answering that question when we get the Q&A. Let's say he has something and I want it. And since we are reasonable adults, it doesn't mean that I'm going to take it from him. I say, well, how much Crafty Master do you want for widget XYZ? And he says, I want $1,000. And I say, will you take Bitcoin? And he says, I will absolutely take Bitcoin. I say, send me an address. He sends me an address. I scan it, send Crafty Master 1000 bucks. He gets $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. I get my thing. How do you do that with a stock? How do I transfer ownership of the stock with another party without a third party acting as a counterparty in it? And the answer is I don't. Not only do I have a form of property that can be held infinitely with no cost to maintain, I have a form of property that's transferable between individuals, or more importantly, when you plan to never sell your Bitcoin, geography. So if I have a whole bunch of money in stocks and brokerage accounts, E-Trade or, you know, something more conventional like Edward Jones or something like that, and I get in some shit and I decide I'm going to get the hell out of here, they're going to take my money. They're going to seize it. It's on the grid. right? This is one of the weaknesses of having a Bitcoin ETF. It would be subject to that too. It's just a way to gain exposure to the asset with money that's otherwise captive. But Bitcoin I have complete geographic fluidity with. I can go anywhere in the world. I don't have to fill out any paperwork. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to move anything. If I have 12 words, I have my Bitcoin wherever I go in a way that you know, I'm not saying no one could ever take it from you. There's the old joke. You know, we have $5 million worth of hackers and they can't do it, but take this $5 wrench and hit him in the head until he beat him on the arms and legs with the wrench so he doesn't cognitively black out till he gives you his passcode, right? And then take his Bitcoin. So I guess there is that physic. But how would they even know how much you have if somebody's going to do that shit? They might get a wallet, but that's probably not all your Bitcoin. You know, I mean, don't some of you guys have some kind of old, rusted-ass, busted-ass shotguns and shit like that in case they ever come round guns up instead of saying, hell no, I'll fight you off. Yeah, here you go. Take that piece of shit. I was looking to get rid of it anyway. You know, and the, the other guns are at a different location. I'm just saying, like, that kind of mindset plays out there. But you have the ability to move anywhere. It's completely geographically independent. And it doesn't matter that the government decides that it doesn't like it. It's still there, and there's still nothing they can really do about it. Where if you're on the grid, on the financial grid, 
Um, if you have a custodian, and when you're holding an ETF or a stock, you absolutely have a custodian, then that custodian is subject to the whims of the court, let's say, right? The king's court who can seize your assets. It's, it's really easy to seize publicly disclosed assets in this country and in most countries in the world. Bitcoin doesn't work that way. So that's the primary way that it's different. I could send it to anybody I want, transfer between individuals without a third party, and it's geographically limitless as to where I can go and have access to it. If I have Internet connection, I have my wealth. All right, moving on. Um Mining pools. So I get a lot of questions. Mining pools, like this one pool is 60% of mining or some shit. And it's not that big, you know. Um, but like these two pools have more than half the market. So Bitcoin's centralized. This requires, well, it's probably because you listen to shit corners talking shit that don't know what they're talking about. It's probably the reason. And you also don't have a fundamental understanding on how Bitcoin works. So... A mining pool is just that. It's a pool of power. But the individual miners still control what their equipment does. So if I have, let's say, five ant miners co-located at a facility, and I can you know, I can either do, like, the full service. I just tell them I want them on Bitcoin. Do it all for me, and there's a fee for that. Or I can just basically pay them for hosting space, and I can... I can, you know, log into that equipment and I can do things like change the pool or if I wanted to mine something other than Bitcoin, change what I'm mining, right? I can I can make decisions based on what I want to do. So it's very conceivable you might have this huge mining operation, right? And you look at that and you go, that one company has all that equipment. There are some companies that they do own all their equipment. Most of them don't. Most of them are providing a basically co-location hosting service for people on the outside that are mining. And that person is the one that makes the decision about what pool they're in or what have you. And, and, and so it's not really what I guess you think it is. The pools are just saying, like, we're all throwing in our power here and we're distributing reward based on how much of the power you brought to the table. And you can switch a mining pool that fast, that fast. And it's not like whoever's behind the pool can just decide to go rogue and we're going to start making changes to the network in the blocks. It, it doesn't work that way. You, it, it just, it, it, I mean, explaining it deeply would bore you. It just doesn't work that way. It's not possible. And again, the individual owners of the individual equipment get to make decisions like that. Um, Anyway, moving on from there, um, what about volatility? Huge ups and downs, et cetera. So if you're not selling, you don't care. If you like harvesting capital losses, having a big loss every once in a while, you could harvest, assuming you're managing your Bitcoin by UTXO. is kind of nice. It's a new asset class. Yes, it's 13 years old or whatever now, but it's a new asset. It's a very new asset class. It's, de it's demonetizing many other asset classes, and it runs in a four-year cycle of halvings and readjustments. It's, it, it gets speculated on. People pour bunches of money to it. So it's going to be volatile. But if you look at Bitcoin across any five years, and if you, especially if you DCA across those five years, you've outperformed everything else on the planet. I mean, I'm sorry, you just have. 
So what do you care about volatility? And this is what gets me. These people that say this, you know, if you if there's actually someone you can have a conversation with, like, well, tell me about this. Do you have a 401k? Yeah. They usually most people do. You know, if they have a job, they have a 401k with it. How much money you put in? It'll be somewhere between five and ten percent of their income they put in their 401k. Okay. How volatile is your 401k? What did your 401k look like right around when the pandemic started or the last fiscal crisis that we have or the one that's coming? How how volatile are the mutual funds in your 401k? And they usually don't know. And you know why? They don't log in and look at the value of their 401k every day. They start hitting refresh on the screen and seeing how it changes every five minutes. That's long-term locked-away money. I'm not worried about it. You probably should be more worried about it than you'd be worried about your Bitcoin. But no, Billy Boy buys himself $500 worth of Bitcoin, and he acts like he has $5 million worth at risk or something, and he's always crying about volatility. If it goes down much more, I'll have to sell it, and you ask him why he doesn't know. But Billy Boy's got an app, and he's got you know his wallet on his phone, and he's refreshing it every five minutes to see how much money he has now. So this is a, a mental-based problem, right? This is not an actual problem. Now, if you want, if you want money to spend soon, I wouldn't put it in Bitcoin. It's that simple. Well, what if I need to spend my money in the next ninety days? Money? Do you plan to spend in the next ninety days? Should not go in Bitcoin or any investment that has volatility potential. This is the place for currency. The dollar loses value on a continuous basis, but it's relatively stable across periods of, let's say, one month, two months, three months, across the quarter. Even if you have a 10% inflation per annum, it's only a 2.5% loss across 90 days. See how that works. It's actually a little bit less, to tell you the truth, but we won't worry about that. And, and when people say, well, I'll lose, I'll lose some value, yes, that's called opportunity cost. So I keep some capital in cash, even though I know it will lose value across time, because I want cash available to capitalize on opportunities. You know, like Dodge selling me a $40,000 car for $24,000 at the beginning of the pandemic. It was nice to have opportunity capital available to act on that. You know, and then, or Bitcoin shipped the bed and went to 15 grand, and I called the low at 14 and a half. Might not get there. Might want to buy some. So opportunity capital, business investments, or emergencies, unexpected expenses. Like last year when I had to spend almost $4,000 to fix my well, I didn't really have a choice in doing that. Like I wasn't going to live without running water to my house. It's 2020. Well, it's 2022 back then, damn it. I'm not, I'm not going to live like that without how, you know, without well a well to my home, bringing water to my faucet. I would end up divorced if I told my, you know what, I don't think we need to worry about this. We'll just bring water from the rain catchment in with buckets and stuff. It'll be fine. No, that wasn't going to fly. So I had to spend that money. So having capital reserves for that. So I don't take something that I'm going to potentially need. You know, you want your 90-day emergency fund. You want your, your, your dedicated savings account that stays liquid. And then you have other assets that you invest in. You don't sit there and freak out that there's volatility in them. How many things are you invested in that have volatility? 
And everybody loves the volatility when it's going up, right? And the people that ask this question, I'm not picking on the guy that asked it, but just the truth is, the people that ask this question, they're always the people that don't buy in bear markets and do buy in bull. They're always the people that buy damn near the top of the market. And again, they don't buy a lot, 500, a bucks worth. And then they, they sit there and, sh and shit bricks over it for the next two years. Well, what they should be doing is continually buying all the way down and all the way up. And again, if you want to harvest losses, go ahead and do that. There's, there's never a bad day to avoid giving money to the government in a completely legal by the book way. And they have to just sit there and not get their money. That's, that's always good. Uh, next is, um, what about the letter from the SEC to Coinbase that demanded they stop selling all crypto except Bitcoin? Uh, Brian Anderson says this happened. I haven't seen a copy of the letter. I haven't actually looked very hard for it, though, to be honest. But I have no reason to doubt him that he got a letter from the SEC when they were getting ready to be sued. And that lawsuit's ongoing. And in the suit, they named like 20 shit coins. Solana was one of them and, and a, a bunch of other uh, Cardano was in there. And they said, we believe, and they're filing this with the court and we are suing Coinbase because they're selling these specific cryptocurrencies. And we believe that they do pass the Howey test and they are in fact unregistered securities. And so we're suing them to make them stop and to penalize them for doing so. But the letter they sent was you, so the letter doesn't get filed directly with the court. This is a letter to Coinbase from the SEC, and it specifically stated, Thou needest stop sellingeth all shit coins. Thou shalt selleth only Bitcoin. Okay. And Coinbase just probably sent it to their legal team and said, Do we have to do this? And the legal team said, You plan on fighting the suit where they named 20 or 10 or whatever it is. So no. No, you don't. They're not going to not sue you if you do this. So Coinbase basically gave a double middle finger and, and kept selling it. To me, this does signal from the SEC that while they may not like Bitcoin, that they do hold it as something different. That maybe some of these other shit coins are or aren't securities, but Bitcoin is not a security. And they know that if they legally attack it as such, it will not work even in their own court system. They know it won't. They know you can't make the case. You have to show, to claim it's a security, how someone who created it and initiated it is benefiting directly from the efforts of others. So with Cardano, we can go, here's the people on their board that put the stuff in in the beginning. And they did this, and they gave themselves a whole shitload of it. And when the value goes up, they profit off the efforts of others. Hence, it's a security. You can disagree with that, but whether you agree or disagree, you have to acknowledge that there is a case to be made there, or you're just in denial. You're just in denial about reality, because you don't want it to be true. Okay? You don't want it to be true. So, I'll just pretend that it isn't. And I... I, I don't know how else to explain that. What this to me is to me, though, is very bullish, very, very bullish case for Bitcoin. I think everything that's come out in the last few years has been bullish for Bitcoin. Um, but it does signal that the SEC and the SEC would also have a really hard time 
saying stop selling everything, including Bitcoin, and then approving BlackRock's ETF. And this gets more complicated. This gets more complicated. So BlackRock has named Coinbase as who would be their custodian for their ETF. So I don't know what it all means, but I just know that once again, and because there's been many times, seeing the SEC and Gensler acknowledge there is a difference between Bitcoin and crypto is a good thing. My personal opinion is the SEC is going to go after the worst offenders in the crypto space as securities. Oh, by the way, XRP, Ripple's garbage bullshit for the WEF. Um, <laughs> so the Ripple heads, they were all happy, the Ripple tars, they were just stoked that a judge said Ripple is a security when one institution sells it to another, but it's not a security when one institution sells it to a retail investor. And when that came, they're like, it's law now. It's like, you don't understand. Uh, you don't understand the three branches of government, the role of the court, etc. And I also said, this will be reversed. Well, there's a decision came down today from a federal judge effectively reversing that and saying, no, we don't buy that. The thing is or is not. So I think they're going to go after some of these very clear securities. They're going to clean the space up, at least in their minds. And I think you're going to see some of the bigger crypto projects that can make a little bit more case that they're a commodity. What they might end up with is some sort of carve out where like you are a security. Here's what compliance looks like. And it's not quite what compliance is like for public stock in a publicly traded company on doubt, like a streamlined, less expensive means by which to get it done. And some companies have the war chest. The problem, though, then, and I've talked about this before, for companies like Ethereum, the Ethereum Foundation, if Ethereum gets that consideration, what does it do? What does Ethereum do? I mean, people always say, they can do a lot of transactions. Or it's garbage for currency. Nobody, you don't ever go to a shop in the real world and see a sign that says, we accept Ethereum. No, what Ethereum is, is the mother asshole from which all shit coins are spawned. Now there's other, like, other mother assholes, but the primary mother asshole of shit coins is Ethereum. ERC-20 token based, you know, I'm going to make a new currency, I do it. So if it gets difficult to just spin up these new currencies in this new regulatory framework, Ethereum loses a lot of what it does. It's not going to survive on NFTs. I'm sorry. Uh, pictures of monkeys and dumb shit like that. But I think it's bullish for Bitcoin. Then I got this one just this morning, and I saw a lot of talk about this, and I can tell that it's largely under, misunderstood. Sam Bankman freed. has been freed. The charges against him have been dropped because, you know, he donated money to the Democrat Party, and the Democrats are in power, and the DOJ was given a stand-down order. And Bankman Free will go scot free. No, not at all. There were a long list of charges filed by the Department of Justice on Sam Bankman Free. For those who don't know who I'm talking about, he's the guy that ran FTX and he stole a shitload of investors' money, a shitload, billions of dollars. Um, people call him Mini Madoff, but I think he might have actually stole more money. Um, Bernie just got away with it for a lot longer and was better at it, right? This was a very quick implosion that happened with uh, Sang Bankman Freed or SBF, as he has come to be known. He's the weird dude with the white boy afro that eats cucumbers and shit. 
uh, with the girlfriend that is a pedophile's dream. She's like 32 years old, but she looks 12. I can't think of her name now. Um, there are, you have to look at government rules a lot like the matrix and the way that agents worked within the matrix. Since the matrix had rules, there were limits to what the agents that were sent in by the machines could do inside of it. They had to work within its limitations. They just had the ability to do more than the average person. And so you have to look at governments, especially governments of different countries this way. So Bankman Freed was apprehended not in the United States, rather the Bahamas. Okay. And so the United States said, hey, turn him over. We have charges against him and we have an extradition agreement with you. We'd like you to honor it, please. And this is actually something very important countries that when they have an extradition agreement that says they don't do a thing, that they not do it, especially if you're someone like the wonderful tax-free haven of the Bahamas. So the Bahamian extradition agreement allows for extradition for something like investment fraud, which is one of the things he's being charged with. It does not allow for extradition for campaign finance violations. In other words, the Justice Department, doing what it always does, made as many charges as they could, very common, and they know some will get dropped. But by having as much on paper as possible, it increases the odds that you can go to the party that you're going to prosecute, avoid prosecution, and cut a deal. And just like marketers will put a whole shitload of stuff into a package and retail price it all out and make it look like a huge discount, you, prosecutors do this. So they did that, and they included these campaign finance violations and the Bahamian government said, wait, whoa, 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 guys. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know our thing we got going on back door here, right? Washing each other's hands, grabbing each other's asses. We don't extradite for that charge. So DOJ just threw away the campaign finance charge going, we put this dude away for decades on what we have. We don't need that. So he didn't actually, he didn't actually get his charges dropped. He got some of the charges dropped. Of course, no one wants to report it that way. That's just what it is. Now, that doesn't mean it's what I think should happen. I am the weatherman. I'm just telling you what happened. Let's answer some Q&A here real quick. Joe says, best exchange, alternative to strike. I tried cracking out. Not a fan of their debt debit fees or three-day hold on fees to send Bitcoin off exchange into my self-custody. Honestly... <laughs> The exchange that is the easiest to use, if you just want to buy Bitcoin and withdraw it, is probably Coinbase. I do think you're paying higher fees than some other places, but it's quick and it's easy. Okay, Many places have a waiting period, especially if the deposits are coming with ACH due to the legacy financial system and their risk by letting you withdraw a monetary asset when the final backend hasn't cleared yet. So, for instance, my favorite Bitcoin exchange is Swan, but they have a waiting period when you do ACHN. As soon as it's there, you can buy. You have to wait to withdraw. This doesn't concern me. It's not like I have to wait months, and I don't really worry about waiting a few days. But when I buy Bitcoin on Coinbase, and occasionally I do, I can pay for it with PayPal, and I can withdraw it instantly. 
So they have, even though I think they're kind of the devil, they have a purpose. Strike works very well for me, but yes, they've gotten into a point now where uh, debit transactions aren't what they used to be. And if you notice that happened to fold to some of that has to do with Silverleaf Capital uh, and some other issues as well. And it's also the case that right now, Jamie Dimon is exerting power wherever he can to compete with networks like Strike and competitors like Strike because they're the legacy financial system and they don't want to give up all those big old boomer fees that they get on their network and they don't want competition coming. So if they can do things like have other banks cancel deals that allowed for a certain amount of uh, debit card deposits with no fees, they'll do that. And that's kind of what's happened there. So I, I again, go to my Bitcoin tools page, the bitcoinbreakout.com forward slash tools. And uh, you can see all the exchanges in my assessments of them there. But it's, I mean, it sounds like you're talking about buying for fiat. So if you're buying for fiat, you're going to KYC. So it doesn't really matter at that point. And understand, this is something people have a hard time. Well, they're charging a fee. Well, they're not there because they're your friend. They're providing a service, an on-ramp, off-ramp network into fiat. They're going to charge money to do this. And I don't think we should begrudge the fees charged by Bitcoin-only exchanges specifically, such as Stripe or such as Swan. And there's a reason. The reason we have so much shit coining going on in these companies like Coinbase with 9,000 shit coins for sale is because Bitcoin only is not a very profitable exchange to run. Bitcoiners tend to not do a lot of high frequency trading. They make their transaction. They withdraw their Bitcoin. So they have to make something on it or it's not worth putting the effort in or running a company to do it. Steve says, what do you foresee big government doing next to control, track, and tax Bitcoin? How do we minimize this impact? I think they give more clear guidance about it, and I think they know there's only so much that they can do. They may end up you know, having a division of the IRS that does blockchain monitoring or something like that. But I, I think that this is part of why they want to go ahead and bring it into the ETF world, because governments do things playing the law of averages, and I think one of the problems we have as independent thinking individuals is we think that there's more of us than there are. And I think when the government gives a vehicle like an ETF to people, that most people that use Bitcoin will do it through investment in ETF. So I think that that's the best thing they can do for themselves. Again, it's not whether I want them to do it or not. I just think that's what will happen. I, I think it's a really bad idea if you don't, have to use money inside an ETF to do it. I, I think it's dumb. Why would you? Why wouldn't you just buy the Bitcoin and hold it independently? I, I get that argument, but it doesn't mean that most people are going to do it. Most people are going to be above board. Understand that taxation, in some ways, is a voluntary compliant thing in the first place. And I don't mean that they won't come after you for it. I mean they generally rely on people to actually just tell them how much money they made, and pay their taxes. And most people do. You know, people say the rich don't pay their taxes. The rich always pay their taxes. They just pay very little in tax. Once you go over about a million dollars in income, your tax rate effectively goes down. Very much so by following the letter of the law and playing games. 
Do you know why people buy jets? You know, like a guy that makes $10 million a year buys a private jet because he can afford it. No, honestly, it's because he can't afford not to. He can buy a $3 million jet with a $1 million down payment and take about a $2 million tax deduction the year he buys the jet with accelerated depreciation. He can turn around and write off all the expenses on the jet and at the same time allow others to charter the jet when he's not using it and effectively have a jet at a negative cost. That's why they buy jets. So when people tell you the rich don't pay taxes, they don't understand the rich do exactly what the book says. And they play games like that. So I, I don't I don't really foresee a place where they feel the need to do much more other than to create a very clear, specific thing. Now, I do think what's going to happen is like all these exchanges are going to start having more severe reporting requirements on transactions and trades. It's not even that long ago that if you like, let's say you had a merchant account or you just a PayPal account and you were selling stuff online it was all there, and if they requested your information, they could see it. But there was no 1099s. The 1099K came out in, it was either the Patriot Act or one of the bailouts. So it's around 2008, 2009, 2010, that if you ran a business with a merchant account, that the merchant account provider started providing you with a 1099K saying this is how much was received. Before that, you, they just relied on you to tell them. Now we have brokerage accounts where they, when you make a trade, assuming you originally bought the security for that brokerage account, they give you your basis on a statement and say you made or lost X. Fifteen years ago, not ten years ago, that wasn't the case. You just declared a basis. I think people forget that, but more stringent reporting and tracking is what you'll see. Aaron asked me, what about Unchained? I know very, I have nothing negative to say, but I don't know enough to comment either way. So I'll, I'll defer on that. Uh, Hoggis says, any way to keep Bitcoin anonymous and untraceable? Receive it in return for providing a product or a service, and then it's untraceable to you. It's, a tra it's traceable right up until the person that, that, that last had it for off an exchange, then they can tell you what address it's on. They don't know who owns or controls that address, as long as you keep that private. The real way to have completely anonymous Bitcoin is to run your own mining equipment and mine Bitcoin directly out of the blockchain. And you can do that still today, but the, there is no way for the Satoshis themselves to be invisible, at least right now. There is a lot of obfuscation that happens with the Lightning Network. Fediments will increase that. But the trans see, what people understand is all these things, these Lightning things, they're secured by on-chain tra transactions. So there's an on-chain transaction that secures the money that's on Lightning until the channel that it's securing is closed down and it's let back go. So even with that, and I've always said this, if you're targeted, it almost doesn't matter. Like if the government decides they're coming after you, you're not Jason Bourne. So you can be using Monero. 
and they can still determine a lot of things. The transaction itself might not tell them. But if, if let's say the government decides that they don't like Crafty Master, because I talked about him, and they're going to they're gonna go after him, and they get a warrant to do things like place spyware on your computer, they don't even get one and just act like they did, and they actually target you, unless your other security habits are above you know, above a level that most people aren't even capable of, they can still figure out everything that's going on. And remember, it's not just you when you're talking about transactions. It's the other side of the transaction. But I think what people are so worried about making sure no one knows they have Bitcoin or whatever, you're kind of missing the point. You're kind of missing the real point. The point is we now have a form of property that is 100% defendable. Well, we think you have Bitcoin. Okay, take it. Well, give us the information. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, if you want to try to guess the right atom in the known universe to take this Bitcoin that you say is mine, go ahead. Go ahead. Good luck with that. And it's it's the, the question of having the nuclear button, and that's why you don't have to use the nuclear button. Crafty Master, I just mentioned, said, I keep hearing Talking Head claiming that Bitcoin will take over all economic action. What is your take on that? This is everything divided by 21 million tagline. This seems optimistic. It's very optimistic. I don't actually see it that way. I think Bitcoin will eat a massive amount of capital. As more and more very wealthy people understand what it does and how it does it, and that their very participation in the network is, in essence, a guarantee of success. Look at look at what MicroStrategy has done and the impact MicroStrategy has had. MicroStrategy is a large, multi-billion-dollar company, but they are a tiny, itty-bitty little fish in the world of corporate America. If if five percent of the Fortune 500 took 10% of their available cash and put it into Bitcoin. The price would be driven to the point where the demand could be filled because right now at this price, you couldn't do it. It's not doable. It's not doable. And then you have an asset that unlike a piece of real property doesn't require a tenant. It doesn't have a property tax. It doesn't require maintenance. So I think it will eat a lot of investment capital out of the real estate market. I do think it will eat a lot of investment capital out of the gold and silver markets. Um, it is a com- it, it, an infinitely defendable form of property that has no geographic limitation. So I think it will eat a portion of everything, but it's not going to eat everything. There's still going to be people that invest in real estate. There just might be less of them. It might really quickly become obvious to you know, your blue-collar millionaires, I'm much better off putting my capital in something immediately liquid like Bitcoin with this great track record behind it than having a second house that I Airbnb. I mean, I talked about this yesterday with the market, like the Airbnb thing, that's about to explode in the next real estate crash. It's going to be just awful, awful, because they keep there keeps becoming more and more inventory to the same amount of buyers. And that's that's a that's that's the old cycle, right? Boom, glut, bust. 
It always happens, and there's a ton of money that's about to explode in that. So I think it will suck a lot of investment money out of other places. And the good news is there's trillions upon trillions of dollars available for that. And how much of it do you need? I mean, if you think about it, Bitcoin market cap at its all-time high was right at a trillion dollars. So what is what is $10 trillion moving into Bitcoin look like? Do the math and figure it out. K-Bonk says, guys and gals, if you can jump to Bitcoin breakout and hit a thumbs up, that, that'd be nice. Uh, if you're on the main TSP YouTube stream, if you can jump over to the Bitcoin breakout stream and give us a thumbs up and a like over there, help us build that other channel as we're done. It's going to be great. Stan Bridge says, what's your take on Gensler? I watched the entire course by Gensler on blockchain at MIT. The guy is sharp. I think he clearly sees Bitcoin as an asset and all other cryptos as equities. I... Don't hate him, but I trust him as far as I could throw him if he had a giant weight tied around his ass. Uh, he's still a bureaucrat, and I don't put my faith in bureaucrats because bureaucrats change. Bureaucrats change. So I base my bullish case for Bitcoin on what Bitcoin is. Gensler seems to set it apart, but I think there's a legally defensible reason for that, and I'm highly aware that, you know, next administration, he could disappear. He could retire tomorrow because he's bored. You know, I mean, there there are many stories of people that had fantastic businesses disrupted because the bureaucrat change. Joel Salatin, very well known as a farmer, for many years had a method by which he sold beef to his customers. It worked just fine. He ended up being able to go back to doing it, but he almost lost like $80,000 worth of beef that were red tagged because a new bureaucrat came to town and didn't like the way it was going in the past. And fortunately, it was in a facility where it just basically, you want to hang an aged beef anyway. And it took about two weeks to get it cleared up. But there was no guarantee that was going to happen. So don't ever put your faith in any bureaucrats ever. Um, just don't. Uh, Crafty says, in regard to never selling but borrowing against it, as I, this assumes eternally going up. So you have more tomorrow next year to borrow against. Am I misunderstanding? You don't misunderstand, but it doesn't have to go up every year. It has to go up across time continuously. It has to be an appreciating asset over time to do that effectively. There's also the reality that you're spending it without divesting of it. So the, there, there's, there's not a lot of good reason not to do this because what you save in taxes more than makes up for the potential loss because it's 100% tax-free cash flow. It's not income, right? It's cash flow. And, and what I mean by it is, is there's a certain amount of money that once you have something of a certain amount of value, you can pretty much withdraw a small amount of it and you're going to die long before you run out of it. You're just doing the same thing a little bit differently. You're using a different structure. Now, in that situation, if you had a huge hit to the price because you get called out in your loan, sure. So that, that means there's a certain amount that you have to have and a certain amount of cash flow that you, you can take with that amount to leave enough buffer in there. Now, I personally think that if you get to the point where this makes sense to do, you've reached a point where Bitcoin is going to continue to go up in value forever. I think Bitcoin goes up forever. Uh, I think it was Matt O'Dell that put it this way. 
Bitcoin has no top because fiat has no bottom. Or maybe it was Max Kaiser, one of those influencers said something like that recently. And I was like, yeah, that's that's actually a valid take. That's a valid take. What is what is the bottom for fiat? What is the bottom for the dollar? The dollar's lost about 99, 99 cents per dollar in value since 1913. But what people never talk about is it actually lost most of that value between 1971 and today. You know, a Gen Xer's lifetime, it's Gen Xer's generation. The dollar has devalued itself by a ridiculous amount. Do you think that's ever going to stop? Right? But we know Bitcoin can't inflate. It's, it's, it's built into the system. There's no deciding, oh, we need 21 million more of them. It doesn't work that way. Uh, next one says, from Builder of Castle's question, please tell people that unless they have the stock transferred to them and registered at, a corp at the corporation, they do not own stock. It's owned by seed and company. Yeah, that's true. You don't really own your stock when you hold in a brokerage. It doesn't really matter. Uh, when you're talking about the old days, you'd have a stock certificate like grandpa and whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. You can do that if you want to. It doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't help you in any way. It, it just doesn't. Um, you might feel better about it, but you're in the same situation. Um, do I have a rake on coin joins or pay joins, especially with Wasabi and sharing data? I think you meant take. You can do it if you want to. I don't think it's as good at obfuscating things as people make it out to be. Uh, it costs. There's a cost associated with doing it. And again, I'm more of the mindset of I have my Bitcoin. You can't have it. I don't care that people know I have Bitcoin. Obviously, I have a podcast called, well, I have a podcast called The Survival Podcast, but I have a segment or a show that we do sometimes weekly called Bitcoin Breakout. Obviously, I have Bitcoin. Hello, mechanic. What's the best way to buy about 10000 in Bitcoin? I got a sizable check. I want to buy more Bitcoin. Open up an exchange account, KYC into it, link it to your bank account, wire the money in and buy the Bitcoin and transfer it to a wallet. No matter how, and I, I love humble mechanics, so he knows I'm not really yelling at him or nothing. But no matter how many times people ask this same question, they're going to get the same answer for me. There's no magic to this. And the last thing I would want to do is some backdoor deal with a suitcase full of $10,000, buying it from some guy in a back room. I actually know of shit like that happening, but I also know of people doing it and finding out they were part of a money laundering state. That's a, that's a significant amount of money. And just understand that I think this is a part where people get confused. Let's say he goes and buys $10,000 worth of Bitcoin. Let's say July next year, that $10,000 is $50,000. Do you think he owes anybody anything at that point as far as taxes? No, unless you sell it, there's no realized gain. So if you want to buy especially that amount of Bitcoin, then open up an account with an exchange and wire the money in. It's that simple. Um, know this, though. If you go all in at once with that amount, you may trick, trip off some concerns with withdrawal limits, etc. So make sure you fully understand the exchange's policies on new accounts before you choose your exchange. And so I, and there's also exchanges I would not do that with. I would not. Uh, Coinbase, to me, 
This is for the person that like wants the ability to buy, like, oh, the price went down, I'll buy an extra hundred bucks this month. So easy, so fast, that's fine. I wouldn't go to Coinbase with $10,000 out of the gate as a new customer. I would do it with Swan. I would do it with Swan. And you would probably qualify for a Swan private account there where you get like a special person to hold your little hand. And I, I think Swan is, this is what all about Swan. They promote self-custody and they make it easy. They literally tell you, once you buy your Bitcoin and it's available for withdrawal, please withdraw it. They even automate it for you. They, you can have a monthly automatic withdrawal to your wallet. It also, they can set it up. They can even do it with you know new, a new UTXO every time. And you have to go in there and enter it. It's a little bit, if you've used other exchanges, it's a little bit like, why do I have to do this extra stuff? And you just realize it's a really secure environment. And they're doing everything by the book and above board. So I love them. And if I was a large fiat investor out of the gate, I wouldn't even look at anybody else. All right. Why Lee says, question, at what point should you get a second storage device? When should I get a second and third device? Does it depend on how much Bitcoin you have or the amount that it's worth or anything else? I do kind of think in dollars. Um, you know, it's up to you. I wouldn't fault somebody for saying for every full Bitcoin I have, I will have a new wallet. You know, it's about 30,000 bucks right now. Would never fault somebody for that. But if somebody had 20 Bitcoin and they had two wallets holding 10 each, okay. Okay. Might not be what I would do, but I'm okay with that. That's a personal risk tolerance thing. But I think it's definitely an amount and it's got to be significant. I, I tell people, honestly, using a good software wallet until you have at least a few thousand dollars is fine. Software wallets are immensely secure, especially if it's not on your phone. If it's on like a desktop computer at home and you have good security protocols in your home, it's pretty damn secure. Once you're up to a few thousand bucks, though, look at it as a one-time insurance premium payment. So a Model T is like right under 200 bucks, I think, or something like that. So if I have $500 in value, I wouldn't write a $200 check for an insurance account on that $500. I'd say if I lose $500, I lose $500. The risk's not there. But, you know, to me, three, four, five grand, somewhere in that range, that's where you really, you're being irresponsible with your wealth if you don't move to a hardware wallet. And then how much on each wallet, that depends on how much you have, how many you want to manage it or manage. Remember, every wallet has its own seed, right? And there, there's also like a school of thought. If you are a significant investor in Bitcoin, right, meaning that you buy a significant amount every year, you're buying two grand a month, let's say, 24 grand a year, you know, um, that you buy a new hardware wallet every year. And then automatically everything on that wallet falls in that tax year and you are managing by UTXO if you harvest capital losses. But all you do is you do an aggregate average purchase price for that year if you're going to make a transaction. So that's another way you can do it. I'm going to see if any more questions came in. I really need to wrap up. This is my second podcast today and this went much longer than I expected. I don't see any more all cap questions. K-Bonk says, I second Swan, humble mechanic, what I'm going to do uh, with asset liquidation. Yeah, I 
I cannot more highly recommend an exchange than uh, than I do Swan. Rachel said, no, Hunter says I'm speaking nerd again. What did I say that was speaking nerd? I mean, I know I could go there and all, but I, what did I just say? Oh, UTXOs? Addresses. Does it feel better if I say addresses? Um, so Evelyn says using fold card is not economical for anyone that can't make at least their yearly premium back. And she doesn't spend enough. Well, then you don't use something that's not profitable. But I would question whether that's true or not. Do you have a mortgage payment? Because what you, like there's ways to hack fold. Okay? There's ways to hack fold. So one way you can hack fold is you can link it to your PayPal account as a payment method. And then specify for transactions to this place, don't take it from my balance and don't take it from my bank account, take it from my fold card. So, you know, that's what we figured out. Tom kind of tipped me off to this where we can't pay our mortgage with a credit card, but we can use PayPal bill pay to do it. And then we can make the fold card the source. So we just transfer enough about a week before bills are due for that. I do the same thing with my uh, server for the business, which I know not everybody has an $800 a month server bill, but I do. So I make, and Fold isn't what it used to be, let's be honest, as far as profitability. But I make way more than 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin a year off of the uh, of Fold, and that's their you know their premium uh, cards, 100 bucks a year. So I don't have... Uh, I don't have any reason that I wouldn't use it. Now, it's not as good as it was. They made some changes, but, and I had people bitch about it. I'm like, look, companies have to be profitable, boys and girls. And if they're not profitable, it doesn't matter how much you love them, they will soon go away. Humble says, Jack, do you have a Swan affiliate? Yes, sir. And thank you for asking. TheBitcoinBreakout.com forward slash tools. Um, many of the things I recommend on that page do have an affiliate riff on them. I always disclose. Some will say I do receive commissions. Some will say I don't. And so I disclose that. But yes, if you want to get a Swan account, I would really appreciate it. It won't cost you anything to go to the bitcoinbreakout.com first, click on my link. And in my, uh, my resources for my podcast, I usually include all those links as well. And I, Definitely. And it's not a lot of money that you make as an affiliate for Swan, but this is what I want to start people to start seeing instead of being myopic. Well, it's not that much here and it's not that much there. Guys that have been listening to this show for a long time know that, I mean, take the Bitcoin stuff away. Financial management in your life. I explain that you should look at the lifetime cost of anything down to a garden hose. And when I talk like that, I always get people like, I can't believe you think that much before you spend 80 bucks on a garden hose versus 30 bucks on a garden hose. It can't make that big a difference in your life. That one thing doesn't make that big of a difference in my life. You're correct. A lifetime of always putting decisions about spending money, if they qualify for it, through that lens makes a huge difference in your life. Making the right decisions with money in ways that you can you can have a better life and long term have more money, and you do that once a week, 
two weeks off a year for vacation is 50 times a year, right? 10 years is 500 decisions that contributed to your long-term wealth. I try to do better than that. I look at stacking sats the same way. You know, people will say, well, I listen on Fountain and I only got like a thousand sats last week or whatever. You've got a thousand sats for listening to a podcast. I got on Noster and I only got like 2,000 sats and zaps this week. That's 2,000 sats, two bucks. It's money you didn't have and it's going to go up in value. But what happens when you look at every way there is right now to harvest Satoshis? You sell a product or a service and you say, and we take Bitcoin. You get two, three percent of your business a year in that. Okay? You take extra capital and you sweep it in by buying it. If there's an app that pays you in Bitcoin, you use that app. And then do that for 10 years. Do that for 10 years. And then tell me it doesn't matter. Just like we make good spending decisions for a decade to measure their response results. We should make good decisions on stacking wealth and investment. And there's a, maybe I should do a show on that. What are all the apps that have sats back, right? Um, one that's really interesting is called Smiles. I need to get that added to the page. It has an affiliate thing. I'm not that worried about it, though. Smiles, it's not a lot. It's very little. But it's basically a pedometer. And when you walk, you get paid sats for how much walking you do. I'm sure they're tracking you. They want to track me around my property. They can go ahead and do that, I guess. Um, but I, the only reason I even got it is that because Apple keeps changing the health app. All I want to know, how much did I walk today? Oh, well, they've changed this. I have to dig through three screens to find it. It tells me how many steps. No, I want miles. How the hell do I get it to say miles? And every time I figure out what to do, they, they upgrade it and change the way it's laid out. So I put a thing out on Nostra. I said, is there an app that will, I didn't ask for nothing about Bitcoin. I said, it will just tell me how much I walk today and never change. I just open it up and there it is. And the guy's like, yeah, do this. And they give you sats. It has a little wheel. Every day I spend a little wheel. Some days I get no sats. Some days I get two extra sats. I don't care. Somebody here mentioned toilet sats. I was just going to say that, Hunter. Hunter says toilet sats. You sit on the toilet and, and, and do something and you play games. I, I guess he's using Zebedee, I think. I've not looked into that. I don't play games. But, yeah, I mean, I... Take a dump in the morning and open up, do my spin for fold and my spin for smiles and whatever else. Like, you know, I'm just saying, how long do you like? Here's what I'm going to here's what I'm really trying to say. Back when I first found out about Coinbase, this is way back in the day and first started buying some Bitcoin. Coinbase had an affiliate program and you made ten dollars for referring an affiliate, right? referring someone to set up an account and, and bought at least a hundred bucks. And uh so it, you know, it's only 10 bucks. Do you know how much Bitcoin you got for $10 in 2013? Go look it up. So if you were just earning it and spending it, it wasn't a big deal. But if you just stacked it, there'll be a day when somebody would look at making a thousand sats a day as being a nice little extra income. Maybe not making you rich, but like that's, like finding a couple $5 bills every day. It won't be that long before that's the case. So capitalize on it while you can. Um, you, I mean, I'm just telling you, you see people throwing sats around, and as the price of Bitcoin goes up, the amount of sats they throw around declines. Well, this is the thing. 
Anyway, with that, I want to remind you guys real quick about something here. I am going to be in Tennessee the 14th and 15th of October for the Self-Reliance Festival with Nicole Sauce and John Willis. I won't really be talking about Bitcoin, though I'm sure sideline I'll do it plenty with people that want to talk about it. But I'm going to be talking about artificial intelligence and Noster. Uh, but we're going to be talking about a lot of things. Self-reliance and AI, how's that go together? Survival, dude. Well, I think survival means adapting to the time that you're in. But this is going to be a great event. There's a link in the show notes. There's a link in the video notes below where you can learn more about it. Definitely worth checking out. And I want to talk to you real quick also about my item of the day. I brought this out last week, but it wasn't during a video. And I wanted to bring it back because the people that have bought it are really happy with it. This is a galvanized metal raised garden bed. It looks like an eight foot by two, eight foot by four foot by two foot deep stock tank, which is basically what it is without a bottom. And so if you've been looking to put some raised beds in, these were about 150 bucks. And the way that they can ship this monstrosity, I thought it was in two pieces from what it said. It's actually in multiple pieces and it just bolts together. So it's a galvanized uh, tank, just like a stock tank, except it bolts together and doesn't have a bottom. So you lay it out, fill it up, and plant it. Uh, it will work excellent with my method of drip irrigation that uses PVC pipe. Anybody can do it with timers. Um, a couple of these grow an awful lot of food. I said when I brought this out last week, the only reason I'm not buying one is I pretty much have all the gardens I need now. And I'm I'm, I'm eye-humping this thing, guys, and going, I, I, there has to be a place I could use a couple of these, but I, I really don't need to do it. But you know what? Two of them spaced about six foot apart with some cattle panels making arches where you'd walk in between them would look really cool. Uh, I would fill this thing about uh, eight to ten inches up with wood chips and then put garden soil on top of it and have basically a rough form of hula culture. So I definitely recommend this. Remember, you can find that at the survivalpodcast.com or tspaz.com. And if you go to tspaz.com before you shop online, whatever you buy, you will help the survival podcast the Bitcoin breakout, and the work that we do. With that, I'm going to sign off, everybody. Thanks for turning out today. We actually had a bit more people than typical in a Bitcoin show. And I'm starting to see more and more holdouts coming to learn more about Bitcoin. This is a good time to get in. What I'll sign off with is I'm tired of hearing people tell me they missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity in this space is very short-term, very fiat thinking. Buy low, sell high, get your money, and go get high, right? Like, that's how people are thinking. This is a long game. You didn't miss the opportunity. If you're saying those words today, you're missing the opportunity. You're missing the opportunity. It's here. It's right now. Back when Bitcoin was down in the teens, I did an episode of this show. You can go look it up on the site. And it said, stacking sats will never be this easy again. It won't. That bottom is the bottom of the, this cycle. The next cycle's bottom will not touch that bottom. I'm telling you, we have math to show us that. This is a great time to get involved. And I'll just say, when I say get involved, I don't mean go all in instantly. If I'm Humble Mechanic who was here today and he's got $10,000 of surplus capital, he wants to sweep into Bitcoin, do $1,000 buys. Take your time because you might, while you're doing it one day, 
look and the price might drop four grand and you might go ahead and buy two or three or four thousand dollars on that drop. Ease into this, especially if you're new, but don't let it go past you because there's no reason to. And things are about to get really interesting in the space. Thank you for tuning in. If you listen to this on the Bitcoin breakout side only, and the only way you know me is through that show, check out the Survival Podcast, 15 years running, two-time Podcast of the Year award winner, 3,348 episodes up to today. You can find it tspc.co. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house. The American way A dollar down, a dollar a month And you never have to pay There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way